Hey, welcome back everybody to the Benos podcast and today's episode features none other than the one and only coach David Blood. David and me talk today a lot about his background uh, in terms of sliding door moments. We talked about cultural experiences that he had coaching in different countries. We talked about the expectation from his staff, uh, in especially when working with Coach Kamzura and how he went about hiring him, which was a very interesting story, especially for the Lithuanian audience. We talked about philosophy, obviously also about communication, uh, communication with players, communication within the staff, arguing, uh, resolving conflict, all sorts of things. This podcast episode is one of the richest ones in terms of content that I've had to uh, experience to record so far. So please enjoy this one. Please subscribe to this channel. Please share this episode. There's a lot of knowledge, not only for coaches, but also probably for players, for uh, front office personnel. Lots of goodies in this one. Um, please like this episode if you enjoyed it. And uh, I'll see you soon on the next one. Thanks for being here. Bye. We are recording. All right, David. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for being a part of my podcast. Pleasure. Great to be with you guys. Uh, first, first things first. Um, please tell everybody how you're doing. Um, I I know you're you're uh, you're currently back in, in in the states, but how is your health? How is everything holding up right now? Day by day, head still above water. <laughs> Dealing with this uh, particular condition is not uh, not always easy. It's challenging and. Uh, it's something you got to face head on, but uh, I'm not alone in this world with uh, with an issue that uh, causes uh, a different type of uh, uh, lifestyle and preparation, but uh, I'm doing the best I can with it and all is good. Thank you. Okay. I, allow me... Allow me to ask: How are you raising awareness for uh, multiple sclerosis? How, how, how? What are things? Some things that you're doing to just raise awareness in the public eye? Well, I do a lot of speaking on the subject uh, uh, in many different places and different environments. Obviously, the mere fact that I, as a public figure, uh, came out and announced my condition to everyone and, and uh, you know spoke to the subject uh as often and as uh, passionately as i as i could and as i can uh that helps to way to raise awareness of uh, this particular uh disease uh, i'm always available to both people and to groups uh who want for me to speak on the subject or to share my story with them and uh i'm certainly not lacking in making mention of the need for uh continued research and continue, continued efforts to find a uh, cure, cure for this, uh, this particular condition. I remember we talked, uh, talked a little bit about it in the past and how, what was, what was the moment, the first moment where you thought and, and noticed there was something different, there was something, something was off and something that you kind of, maybe it helps other, like it, it triggered a question internally about it. Well, you know, as a former professional player before I came, went into coaching, you know, like many athletes, you know, I experienced some back pain, which over the years became more and more acute and uh, actually brought me to the point where uh, after several uh, MRIs, you know, I was suggested uh, to by my doctors to, to go through uh, 
some surgical procedure that uh, would hopefully address the type of symptoms that I was having due to my back issues, which ultimately uh, I did do uh, because I was experiencing great uh, problems with leg weakness and strength and things of those natures. Uh, And I did actually do a very serious back surgery uh, in the hope of solving that problem. But after a six to eight month period of very serious rehabilitation, I I found that I wasn't getting any better. And it was still experiencing uh, the symptoms of leg weakness and balance issues. Uh, And ultimately, I went through a different type of testing through uh, neurological uh, doctors and, and found that my problem although probably very much uh, existed in terms of my uh, spinal issues, it it wasn't exactly uh, what was causing me the very problems that I had been uh, experiencing. And once I was diagnosed uh, with MS, then the whole process took on a different light. Mm -hmm. But this, despite, despite all that, despite all that, you're still, you're still active in the basketball community as well. And uh, maybe you can shed a little bit of light on on your current role with Maccabi as well as the Canadian national team because you have duplicate roles, sort of. I mean, I'm I'm sort of also in a two two different worlds and and experiencing that as well. But maybe you can shed a little bit of a light on on how they differentiate and what what your exactly uh, what your roles exactly are. Well, you know, there there's a great story that I tell about because I, you know, I myself have gone from being a professional player to being a professional coach, now being a professional consultant. So that, you know, that's sort of how it works. Those that can't play coach and those that can't coach consult. So that's, (laughs) that's where I'm at right now, but I'm, I'm awfully uh, happy and honored to be working for two uh, such great organizations like the Canadian national uh, team program, as well as, uh, my former team, uh, Maccabi Tel Aviv, and being able to, in both cases, uh, work together with managements and staffs uh, as far as uh, helping to enrich their programs uh, in any way that I can, in any way that is acceptable to them. You know, obviously, I, I have a lot of experience both in the world of professional uh, sport as well as in the environment of uh, national teams. And uh, I try to take it on myself to share knowledge and to share experience and to share uh, uh, processes and, and, uh, and uh, ideas of how to uh, improve the, the programs. Um, in neither case am I uh, in charge. Uh, on the other hand, I, I certainly have uh, the ability to impact positively uh, on the different members of the organization and, and certainly uh, uh, hope in my way to help them to move forward and to reach their goals and to improve. Yeah, the, the most, I guess the most important part is to impact somehow, right? Like to have impact, to give Give purpose, gives yourself a little bit more of a purpose and, and, and you know you have the ability like 
ability to impact, ability to change something and ability to win still matters. You know, like we're we're naturally all competitors who are in this business and you still want to have this feeling of competing, winning, going through a loss, learning. And then that's when you feel, I feel like that you probably can contribute the most to, to like gain a little, give, give the teams a little bit more of a perspective on how to do things differently, how to see things from a different light. And I think that that's when you can enrich these two um, clubs and franchises teams in, in, in different ways, national team, as well as club team. There's so many different aspects of, to it. Well, listen, I, I feel good about being able to contribute. I hope that the people that I'm contributing to feel better about the fact that they can gain something from what I have to offer. You know, that, that's the most important thing to me. I, 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 uh, I really want to see my people do well. And uh, much like a coach, you know, I think the greatest uh, sense of fulfillment that you can have is seeing your players do well and seeing them succeed in their current environments, whether it's your team or whether it's going forward with their career in terms of uh, advancing uh, both their own career, but advancing their own in their own lives, uh, becoming more and more successful in, in ways uh, on and off the court. So, you know, I, in that respect, although I'm not coaching and, and uh, don't pretend to be, uh, I hope that I can help those coaches and those players and, and those uh, staff members that uh, uh, can gain something from 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 what it is that I can give and and if so I, I you know I couldn't be I couldn't be happier well listen let's talk let's talk about all those little parts because in my in my podcast I prepare usually uh, four quarters for for all the head coaches and and I've prepared four quarters for you but I also as I tell all the high profile high profile coaches who come come on and visit to Let's agree to let the accomplishments rest in peace for today, and and uh, they're they're just going to be shoved to the side for for a little moment, and we're going to talk about what about the nuances that got you there to go, get to those accomplishments, and maybe help uh, to gain perspectives to to the listeners and to to gain a little bit of different type of knowledge. So I prepared four quarters. The background part is not the traditional background part, as I usually ask, but I will ask specific questions that may trigger a little bit of a different thought process then we're going to go into coaching uh, prep work and scouting around around the team uh, the third quarter will be just a short one about game decisions uh just in game in game not strategic but tactical as well as some do's and don'ts that that you probably see uh and 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 have better experience with and the fourth quarter is my favorite one uh, in this case because it's philosophical and communication that's what i love to talk about and that's what we're gonna um that's probably gonna be the meat of our conversation but before we get there uh the the, the background part is to me always i'm always curious if there was a sliding door moment in your career where your career would have could have turned a completely different way and that there's some some moment that sticks out in your past uh whether it's before you started coaching professionally that maybe you could have turned in a completely different direction or a career break, let's say, where it just took off from there and it was a sliding, it could have went either way. Well, I mean, there were several moments like that, to be honest with you. First, uh, my decision to go overseas and play professionally after I graduated from Princeton was a sliding door moment. You know, I, I really had uh, uh, a serious decision to make whether to go uh, 
into the study of law or into the world of business right away after graduating college. And I decided that I wanted to continue to play basketball for a short period of time uh, just to have the experience and, and to continue in the game that I loved. Uh, I did go overseas and, and, and played. Uh, um, actually, after three years, I came back to the United States and went to work for Xerox Corporation in the United States because I felt like, OK, I've done this and, you know, I've enjoyed it. But, you know, maybe I need to get a little more serious about my life and, and do what the typical college graduate does after finishing. Uh, after two years of, of uh, working, uh, still playing on a daily basis, on a, on a nightly basis, on all the local leagues, uh, I realized that, hey, you know what, this is what I really want to do. Why, why, am I, why am I not playing until the, the wheels fall off? And I went back overseas and played another nine years uh, professionally in, in Israel. And then another sliding door moment happened. I, I was uh, about ready to turn 34, and I... Uh, so in the profession in the in the pro ranks, and I tore my Achilles tendon, and uh, that ended my career. It was a complete rupture, and I was you know I was getting later on in my career anyway. Uh, I always laughed to myself thinking about the irony of the, my favorite book of all time, uh, the Iliad, Homer's Iliad, and uh, of course Achilles, the the protagonist, the main main hero of he. He lost his life via uh, an arrow to the Achilles, which which uh, um, I found to be uh, uh, ironic on a number of different levels. Uh, not that I was a superhero or anything like that, but it, indeed something happened that he had been more or less protected uh, with a with a blessed life, and the only place of weakness that that, that forced. Uh, uh, the change was, uh, of course, that one area where his mother had held him by the heel and dipped him in the water, uh, allowing him to be godlike. Uh, and, and, and that was his vulnerable area. Now, I was anything but godlike, but I certainly uh, uh, found my career ended uh, by such an injury. And that forced me to think about what I was going to do with the rest of my life. Now, for coaches, I can tell you, while I was playing every year, I always asked my club to uh, allow me to coach a youth team for a couple of reasons. Number one, I had time. I was a professional player. I had a lot of time on my hand, and I, and I wanted to use that time in, in some productive manner, and I really enjoyed working with young people. So every year that I played, I also coached a youth team. Uh, at that point, I still had not had it in my mind to continue with uh, with that as the rest of my life's career. Uh, but in a way, without knowing, I was preparing myself for that. And when that injury happened and, and I received the opportunity on the part of Galile Leon, where I had been a professional player, to come and to be uh, an assistant uh, after my injury, um, I, I thought to myself, why not? You know, I was doing it anyway. Uh, with younger teams, and let, let me give it a try and see how it works out, how it worked out. And, you know, 30 years later, I can tell you it worked out pretty well for me. 
Yeah, I can't complain about that one. That kind of, that's a pretty, um, I had, I don't want to say like parallels to, to you and me, but I, that's something I felt as well that I was, um, I had injuries in, in, in college that like, it, it, they took a toll on me when I was professional. But as I, it took a toll on me, I started to coach as well on the side with kids. And it kind of, it felt I could impact in a different way. On the court, you impact one way as a player. And then off the court, it was, it was as coaching youth, it's kind of like a mentorship role and you feel like you can really change kids because majority of those kids will not be able to be play professionally. So you kind of feel like you can give them some kind of guidance and, and, and implement some sort of values and in, in, into them. And I, I thought that was very rewarding. And, you know, in hindsight, it also prepared me to, to kind of um, get my thoughts out there a little bit better to, to make me think about of what kids go through, what I went through and how you can impact them going on. And, and I think that helped me also further on to uh, connect with people uh, in, on, on different levels, you know, because kids are one, one have one way of thinking and you can change their, their thought process a little bit. No doubt. No doubt. Um, well, I, have, I have one uh, strange question in terms of, of, of the background. That's not everybody's uh, cup of tea, let's say, because it's a, it's a Tim Ferriss question. He's one of my favorite podcasters, and he's, he's always asked his guests, is there a favorite failure, if you look back, that you like, you know, favorite failure is it's, it's counterintuitive, but it's something that maybe you look back on. And of course, it was a little bit of a bitter taste that, 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 that left, but that taught you so much going forward and that you look back on that you can reflect on and say, man, that failure made me a better coach. You know, is there something in, in, in the background that you feel like jumps out at you right away? Um, that's really a good question. Uh, what comes to my mind uh, are a couple of things, because it's, it's not only one thing. If you've only experienced one favorite failure, you're either being dishonest or you're being unrealistic or you haven't done anything. Because if you haven't done anything, you're not going to fail. But if, if you've tried to do a lot, then most likely you failed a number of times. And, and, that, and that's a good thing, if you ask me. Um, you know, when I, when I think back on my long career, like most coaches, you know, you're not going to make it through a career without getting fired a few times, without losing your job or without having to leave a job due to you know, unhappiness or, or some uh, uh, unpleasant aspect of, of the place. So, I mean, there, there's been three occasions in my career where, where I've lost my job or had to leave a job due to financial problems of the team or due to... Uh, uh, unsavory behavior of some of the people around the team, as well as you know instances where the managers just didn't see me as being the right guy for whatever reason, uh, or you know, you know, some some people uh, impacting on your ability to do your job in such a way that you know you became a, a not the choice person for that situation. So I, I think the three times that I lost my job during the course of my career really, really helped me because they forced me to be introspective. They forced me to uh, evaluate myself uh, and to uh, really make an effort to improve uh, in many different aspects of, uh, of the profession. And uh, I'm... I'm I'm thankful for that. It's not always pleasant to think about it, and it's not always uh, the desirable thing. But uh, 
you know, there's there's no there's no shame in falling down. But it's shameful. It's shameful not to get up again once you've fallen. And I, and I can tell you that uh, as someone who's had those experiences, uh, I tried and I believe that they made me better. Uh, so, you know, looking back, it's, 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 it's all in how you manage it and all in how you uh, learn from it and all in how you allow that to motivate you in such a way as to, to move forward and, and to get better. So and during those, let's call it ups and downs, just to be as simple as possible. And, and was there a time or a place or a team, a, a certain year where um, of realization? Because I've had a realization in the past where, you know, you go from one level to another and then you just have like an epiphany where it's just like, oh, this is a different level basketball, different kind of basketball. Is that like lessons left and right that I, I have absorbed and that kind of opened my mind to of like the possibilities of how basketball can be played of how uh, basketball evolves in a different way there's not one way of doing things was there a moment or a time or maybe a country for for, for that matter that opened up your eyes a little bit more even more just to have like a wider horizon and made you understand that there's a lot more that you didn't know up until that point Well, you know, the great John Wooden, you know, the historical and perhaps the most famous college basketball coach uh, in the history of American uh, sports, uh, head coach of UCLA, of course. You know, he once said, it's it's what you learn after you know everything that counts. And, I've, you know, I've tried to adopt that throughout the course of my career. And every place that I've gone and every team that I've coached and every uh, – management that I've worked with and, and every staff that I've either hired or, or uh, uh, become part of, they all have different ideas. They all have different ways of doing things. And, and I think it's so important as someone like me who's worked in many different countries and many different environments that you recognize the critical nature of cultural competency, being able to know where you're coming from And to bring that to the table, but also being open-minded enough to understand where you are coming to or where you are going to and accepting that there are differences and that there are different ways of doing things. And there is the importance to be open-minded and to being uh, tolerant of those things. Not to think that you have your way and that's the only way. That doesn't generally get you very far. Uh, so I always try to make it a point to understand the environment that I was in, to learn some of the language of the place that I was living in, to uh, embrace the cultural differences uh, of those places, to recognize uh, the different personalities that perhaps already were in place when, when I arrived there, and to make that work in such a fashion that I would grow as a person, I would help those people or those uh, uh, individuals that I was working with to grow also, and to make that a point of emphasis, you know, whether it be through communication, whether it be through uh, uh, just understanding, whether it, whether it be through a sincere desire to recognize one another, accept one another, be, be patient with one another on, on a level that went beyond whether 
you know, you, you, you feed the post more in this place or you shoot the ball uh, with this particular technique and that pace. That, that, that stuff is secondary. Uh, and I think that was probably one of the very uh, biggest keys to my coaching uh, success and coaching career in different Adapt- Yes, adapt, adaptability and embracing was the word that you, I think that I, I also was thinking of. And I had this topic later on in, in, in communication, but let's talk about that a little bit because there's two things that I wanted to, one thing that I wanted to add from my side, because I know that once you learn also more languages, speaking languages, speaking the tongue of a different culture makes you think a different way as well. It helps you it rewires your brain. I don't know the anatomical uh, or the biological, you know, like significance of it, but it rewires your brain in certain ways. And it helps you to think and understand people in a different way, in a different light. And there's, like you said, there is not one way of doing things. There is, there is, you, you have to have these, uh, you know, pick up certain things from them by, by learning their language, by learning how they think, because when you start expressing, you start learning and listening of what they say, how they say it, it triggers a different aha moment in you where you're like, oh, okay, that's where he's coming from, you know, like coming from in, in regards of like thought process. But yep. in those situations, when you were in, in, in all this, I mean, there, I, I was looking at the countries, uh, US, Turkey, Russia, Greece, Italy. Am I missing something? USA, Canada. Yeah. Yeah. USA, Canada. Yeah. USA, Israel. Yeah, Israel, Israel, of course, yes. Yeah, that's that's an obvious aha moment there. Uh, um, yeah. Let's call it brain fart. But yeah. what what cultural cues did you specifically look for in those countries that you coached? That maybe by learning the language or by by embracing certain things, were there search, cer- certain cues that stood out to you the most? Whether it was body language, whether it was intonation of of a certain sentence structure, that kind of helped you understand them a little bit better? Sure. I mean, many, uh, almost all, almost too many to mention. You know, I, I'll, I'll give you uh, some small examples in Israel. For example, you, you, you know, you, you have to understand that there are many holidays there, some which are more uh, of a serious nature, some which are more of a celebratory nature. You have to be willing and ready to adapt your practice schedule, even your game schedule, certainly your load schedule, according to those holidays, very much the same thing in in Turkey. Uh, You know, there are periods of time where certain players may be fasting throughout the course of the day uh, and eat only at night. And you better be aware of that in order to to set up your your practice schedule and your you know your 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 load schedule in such a way that allows these guys to make it through make it through that period of time um, certainly Russia from a linguistic standpoint was very challenging but it's not only the language that's different it's also the the mentality that is is so very different, you know, and you have to be recon- you have to recognize that and be respectful uh, of that in such a way that allows you to communicate with people uh, uh, effectively and efficiently and, and uh, um, in the proper manner. So, you know, the, when I come into the NBA, it was a whole different world. I'm American born, but I spent most of my time most of my time in Europe. When I came back after 
geez, 30, 36 years to the, to the United States. It was a whole different world for me. You know, it was my native, my native tongue. And, and these were people that I had grown up with, but the world of basketball in the United States and, and certainly uh, uh, in, in the NBA had changed drastically for all of us. The world has changed drastically. Yes. The internet and the media and the uh, uh, all of the the different influences and, and influencers that they, they've changed the nature of sport in general. And you working with younger people who are maybe a lot more part of that world than you yourself are have to be aware of that. Have to understand the impact of those things. Have to be cognizant of what motivates uh, these guys. Have to be uh, aware of outside influences that may impact your your team or or your players or your interpersonal relationships. You know, these are things that demand a a kind of uh, again cultural competency or a kind of maturity or a kind of uh, tolerance that that really challenges uh, you in terms of leading your people. Yeah, the, the communication part, I think, changed the most over the course of a year. Like this, the, the way the way people communicate, the way they express themselves, the way they also receive communication. You know, it's, right. it's, it's both, so it, there's there's a different way of um, there's on many podcasts they talk about it of how if you look at the world from let's call it let's say eight. 1750 to 1850, 100-year span or, or 1900. There's not much change happening, right? There's like it's a plus, it's a it's a minor change here, and everybody lived more or less in the same manner. If you fast forward, you know, to now, and you compare, let's just how just think of how it was 10 years ago, you know, and how it is now, and or like just 20, it's it's a it's a completely different sphere, and the time, the things are changing as we speak, and the 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 way. Media is digested these days. It's it's a, such a quick turnaround that whatever somebody said a week ago is not interesting anymore. <laughs> you know, hundred percent right. It's a different it's a different world we live in, and unfortunately, not necessarily a better one, but in some ways better. You know, <laughs> it's always there's always uh, pluses and minuses to everything. That's obviously, so there's some good that comes with the bad always. Absolutely. But, uh, if you if you jump back on the coaching part and you envisioned yourself in 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 while becoming a coach did you have a way of a vision of how did you how, how you wanted to become what kind of coach you wanted to become because when 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 guys start coaching they have a lot of times of a way of presenting how they want to present themselves and how how they really want to be perceived versus of what kind of coach you became? Was there a difference? Is that is that what I'm trying to say? Is that does it matter of vision visualizing yourself of how you want to look, or do you just gonna go with the flow and become who you want, who you can and are meant to become as a coach? Yeah, I think it does. I think it does make a difference. I think it's also very important. You know, I when I lecture to to coaches uh, or players or even businesses, you know, I talk a lot about um, what are the pillars of your profession, you know, and, and in coaching that for me, there's four or five pillars that are particularly uh, critical. Uh, but, I, but I'll start with this, you know, the, the, the philosophy in coaching, I think has two, two 
kind of um, sides or, or has two, two uh, particular uh, ideologies, so to speak. Some coaches are system coaches, okay? And they, they have their way of playing and their way of doing things. And, and no matter where they go, that's how they're going to play. I myself, uh, in college, I played for a system coach, famous Hall of Fame uh, coach Pete Carrill, who developed the Princeton offense. And that's something that he took with him throughout his whole career. He played that way. He taught those things, and that was and that was it. And and that's fine, by the way. When I came to Europe, which was a totally different environment to play, nobody was playing the Princeton offense, so you know you had to learn to play a different way, uh, which wasn't easy. By 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 the way, uh, and then ultimately I went into coaching. I I recognized that for me to be successful, I had to be part of another school. I wanted to be a personnel coach someone that coached to the skill set, particular skill set of the players that he was working with. And it could be different, you know, from, from year to year um, or from roster to roster. Uh, now, one of the most important things I'm going to tell you about coaching is, is that nobody's 100% right. This isn't more right than that. It's, it's really about what you believe and, and what you work and, and the way that you work. Uh, so while I sort of became a, a personnel coach, uh, much more than a system coach, there's always certain principles that you take with you no matter where you go. But there are more things along the line of, of doing things right, doing things consistently, uh, doing things with the, with the purpose, doing things with the caring about the people that you're, you're working with that goes beyond just uh, you know, did you get your shots up for today or, you know, it has to do with their lives and has to do that with them as human beings, because one of the ultimate pillars of my coaching philosophy, of course, is be a human being. You know, you got to recognize that you're working with with people and that you can't necessarily look at everybody the same. You can have rules and standards for the group, but not everybody necessarily can be treated in exactly the same way or can be understood in in the same way or or uh, can be critiqued or can be coached in the same way sometimes you got to recognize that you're dealing with different people and and make it work for them as well as it works for you uh so you know certainly there's an awful lot to that i i completely I completely get and and I I understand what what's the the, the the crass difference between a system coach and the personnel coach. Like to me, the personnel coach is more artistic. It's more of of adjusting and and seeing, feeling. Uh, it's more like having empathy for the player of who he is, who he wants to be. Sometimes certain that the the vision of the player doesn't match of who he really wants to be. You know, like or who he really is. And I mean, but. Uh, do you do you, you you can't judge the coaches who are system coaches, right? I mean, like they they're gonna live and die with with uh, with their system, and for for good or bad. But I feel like there's always some kind of forcing going on, you know, when you're a system coach, because there's a lot of times you you get you inherit a roster and you can't completely play the same plays, the same playbook with every player. 
you know, from team to team. So I feel like there has to be there has to be more adjusting with the system coach than there has to be with the with the personnel coach because there is is it's just too much of a cage that you bring into a into a roster and you you put them in certain situations where they don't feel comfortable at. I feel. Well, again, and I, and I and I don't want to correct you, but I think perhaps you mixed up the two in terms of what I mean. You know, a system coach by nature is going to be a little bit more rigid and disciplined according to how he wants to do he or she wants to do things. Um, but you know, I, I don't I don't think there's a negative to either one. I certainly would not find any problem with someone who is a system coach. Uh, more so than I that I was. Uh, I, I I think another of the pillars that I really believe in terms of the importance of of coaching is that you have to, you know, you have to have a philosophy. You have to have your way of doing things that you believe in, and together with that, you have to be a teacher. You have to be able to teach those things. So if your efficiency or effectiveness as a as a coach comes from you having a system that you believe in, that you understand, that you know top to bottom, well, then fine. That's the way you should do it because that's what works for you. Uh, and maybe it's, it's, it's uh, in, ma in many cases, it has a lot to do with where you're working and how long you're going to be there. You know what I mean? Uh, or how long you want to stay there. You know that. <laughs> um, You know, generally, the, the, the continuity is necessary to implement a particular system where you have to change the way that certain guys play is going to mean you, you're going to need more time. You know, if you if you want to adjust quickly or if you're stepping into different environments and different cultures, perhaps you have to be a little bit more flexible uh, because you may not be coming into a place that you know everybody that well or that you're making your own choices in terms of the roster, you know? So, you know, it could be, it could be the, you know, necessity is the mother of invention you know, you, you got to make it work. So you figure out what, what and how you want to do things. So, but like in either system, if we take both, both pillars, the one thing that I, the pet peeve that I have with either, because there's sometimes coaches in, in, in both categories and I invented a new term here. Are you ready for this? ready it's called over basketballing so there's there's to me there has to be a balance uh, between sophistication and simplicity right so there's a lot of coaches that are over basketballing and therefore forcing the issue in a lot of regards whether it's one or the other right so do you think that there's a perfect balance between simplicity and sophistication or is that some something that that uh i just kind of fantasize about uh no uh i i, I don't think that's over simplifying i just i just think you know in in many cases in a, in a coaching career for example unless you're lucky enough to be in the same place for uh, a long period of time you're almost forced to uh to adjust adapt and and to be more flexible uh, in terms of how you're going to do things and just you know you got to be realistic about that if not and you recognize hey this is the only way that I'm, i can do this well then you better find the situation that allows for that that that's that it gives you the chance to stay there and to uh 
develop a program in, in a way that you want to develop it only and to have the continuity uh, of that you need in order to go long term with with something and you know it, it a lot of it depends on 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 where you're at in your career and and what you want to do in your career um but but again i mean for system coaches and for personnel coaches they're they're in most cases many principles that they hold true to regardless it just may not be how do you establish your position in in the post or how do you play pick and roll defense or you know or how do you create um ball movement you know the the, the these things can be done in different ways whether systematically or whether they're personnel driven but in terms of coming to work every day and being who you being who and what you need to be uh, in order to help the team uh, in terms of your practice and your preparation and, and things of those natures, so those those are things you can always take with you. You know, those are principles that you have to have, I think, regardless of what system or what uh, philosophy of coaching that you have. Okay, so let's talk let's talk about the preparation part a little bit in terms of staff. So we have a common thread now, and uh, coach Coach Kimzura was a long time assistant for you. Uh, and I'll have the pleasure to work with him for the first time in this FIBA window. And I was wondering from a assist from from your perspective towards the vision of uh, an assistant coach, what's what's your expectation from your assistant coach, whether it's in game or in practice? Uh, how what what kind of roles do you want them to carry whether it's personal relationships or tactics or certain certain um balance that they should give to you in terms of you know when when you're loud you want them to be quiet if you're quiet you want them to be loud is there certain 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 balance you expect from them and are there certain no-nos that you see in us uh, that assistant coaches should stay away from Well, you know, as a coach, first of all, I can I can tell you that uh, the greatest part of my success came from the fact that I worked with great staffs. Uh, I'll give you a, a short story and a, a quick example of that. Uh, but I'll start with, you know, I know that I personally am not great at many things. But one thing I do think that I am great at, I think I'm a great judge of character. So any of the choices that I made, I always tried to make them based on character first, whether it was players, whether it was person, uh, whether it was coaches, whether it was staff. Uh, so I'll I tell you this story. When the first time that I left uh, Israel as a coach was to go to St. Petersburg in, uh, in Russia. And uh, when I was building beginning to build my uh staff my uh uh gm a, young, a guy by the name of igor room and he suggested to me he said hey well, you know i'm not going to tell you who you, you should take on your staff but i suggest that you talk to to, to this young man i said sure what's his name he said, his name's castus consor he said I, i just think because he you know he, although he's lithuanian he speaks perfect russian And he also speaks English. And, and for you, that could be a big, you know, a big uh, advantage to have someone that comes in and speaks the language and speaks your language and, and uh, uh, may help with the whole uh, process of, uh, of adjusting to a new, new, new uh, home and a new uh, way of life. 
So I, I said, sure, give me his number. And I called him on the telephone and, and we began the conversation and five minutes on the clock went by. And I said, Cassis, you know what? I don't want to talk to you anymore. I've already heard what hour, all I need to know. Call me back in 24 hours if you want the job or not. Five minute conversation. Fortunately, 24 hours later, he called me back and he said, Let, let's do this thing. Let's try. You know, this was a very, very unknown project for the both of us that had a very happy end, by the way. But, uh, uh, you know, it's 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 moments like that that you, you know, you recognize how important your partners are, your your staff is and your and your and your. Uh, uh, assistants are, I, I hate even to call them assistants. I, you know, I call them associates. Uh, and I think, you know, the, the, the thing you got to recognize and the thing that you want is to set the proper expectations for them by telling them what it is that you need and that you want and not just leaving it up in the air and, and saying, okay, however, however you do, we'll see. And at the same time, allowing them to embrace their position and to contribute in any way, shape, or form that they feel is uh, positive and is is uh, helpful within the expectations that you've set. It's set that you know if the game is going on and you have to make a decision, you want you don't want your assistant getting up and making the decision for you. You know that should be one of the expectations. You know you certainly don't want to coach an assistant who's going to be disloyal. Uh, in any way, shape, or form, you know, you, you don't want an assistant who's not going to be on time, who's not going to work hard, who's not going to do everything and anything that you that you ask of them within reason, of course. Uh, knowing that uh, you yourself and I was an assistant myself, you know, w- w- would be willing to do the same thing. You know, never ask an assistant to do something that you yourself wouldn't be willing to do if you were an assistant or when you were an assistant. But at the same time, you know, set the bar high and uh, expect them to live up to uh, your needs. Uh, But again, just like with players, be a human being. Understand that they're also human beings, that they have a desire to feel wanted, to feel valued, to feel respected, uh, to feel that they have what to contribute uh, in a major fashion. Uh, And... uh, those things being 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 said, you know the 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 likelihood of you being successful with your assistance is 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 very high. Being valued, I think, is the key word. That have like con- contributing factors, having purpose within the staff, and feeling like you have a voice. Um, that's I think those those that's one of the key things for assistant scouts on the staff that they all feel like they are contributing to the bigger to the to the bigger picture. No question. I you know again I can. I, I've said this before on many occasions, and I'm 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 happy to say it again. You know, one of my best experiences. Uh, you know, I worked from some really good coaches. I worked for uh, Benny Gershon, the great uh, European. I coached for, for assistant coach for Muli Katsorn with the Israeli national team. By the way, I actually played for both of those guys too in my career. <laughs> I worked with Art Shebak, another very good uh, Israeli coach, and all of them contributed to me, you know, if I speak specifically about Penny, for example, you know, people know the many great uh, teams that we uh, had together. And I think one of the biggest boons to my career was the fact that he gave me uh, the opportunity 
to uh, to be so impactful and influential uh, in the program. And he didn't have to do that. You know, he did it wholeheartedly, and he did it understanding the 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 fact that that would help our team. Uh, you know, and I'm thankful to him for that to this day. Um, and not all coaches are like that. You know, a lot of coaches they lack the confidence to allow their assistants to be uh, frontal, frontal frontal, or to be impactful uh, and to have a say in things. And and uh, you know, I think that speaks more to the confidence of the coach than it does to the ability of the assistant. You know, if the coach is confident and knows he's got a good person working for him, who does you know, check the other boxes of loyalty and of hard work and of, of uh, discipline and of going the extra meter to, to or yard to to make things uh, work for the team, then, you know, then then you've got something there. The head coach has to feel secure. Like he, that's, I think it's about, it's, it's about having a uh, feeling secure that you empower your assistant coaches to have a voice and to impact and not feel threatened, for example, you know, it, um, what 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 made you follow a question on that? What made you a good judge of character? Was there a certain certain, or was that something that came as a natural gift? Well, you know, my father, God rest his soul, always taught me as a little kid: uh, look people straight in the eye, never speak to anybody from above, and never look at anybody from below. You know, try to recognize that people deserve respect. That give your give you respect, and the opposite is, is true always. And I and I think that helped me to uh, um, recognize the importance of character in anything, because you really can't go too far, too long working with people that are of, of, of bad character. You know, most of us were fortunate enough to have a parent or two parents that taught us the right way, and. Uh, Okay, I'm older now and I have four children and I know that uh, what I knew then, even raising them, and I don't, I don't know now, but certainly what I knew then was a little bit more than what they did at the time and passing on valuable life lessons to, to, to my children, to my players has always been tantamount. It's always been something that's important. And then ultimately, of course, letting them make their own decisions. But, uh, you know, if, if you've been fortunate enough to have uh, – good mentors or good teachers or, or good coaches, then probably you're going to end up with being a pretty good judge of character. I think having, having the right moral compass, moral compass comes to mind to, to know, understand and feel right from wrong. And then you kind of, you, you, you get a sense for who the other person is. Well, um, one last question about the basketball, the coaching and the preparation part would be uh, in regards to video scouting or preparation to before you go into a game in terms of preparing the team with scouting reports, with video analysis, is there also a way of over basketballing things over like, how do you eliminate information overload or were you a coach that wanted to have the players as much information as possible and for them to make the right decision? Or did you filter it down in terms of being digestible and easier implementing and letting them play and not overload them with, with too much information? Well, you know, this this brings us back to where we we were talking about the way that the world has changed, mm. you know. And uh, if if you look at my career and my way of doing things in terms of video and, and video preparation and scout 
preparation, uh, whether it be written reports or whether it be meetings or things like that. I can tell you that today I would be viewed definitely as an overcoaching guy. That's because the world has changed. You know, today people sit on their iPhone and they watch something for a minute or two and then they change their iPhone, not even their TV, to another channel so they can watch something else. That's why the world of sports viewing is going through, you know, such great throes of change, you know, in terms of how they even are able to hold viewers, you know. Attention. So it's, yeah, it's the same thing with being able to hold the attention of your players. I think you got to do things in a more, in a shorter and in a more concise fashion because people's attention span isn't what it used to be, unfortunately. Uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, change is not always bad by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but you just have to learn how to do it differently and do it in a way that is efficient and uh, interesting and, and uh, palatable, you know, something that people can be with in a, in a, in a, good, uh, in a good way, you know. But it's, it's very different than it once was. And, and uh, perhaps my way of doing things then is something that wouldn't even work now. I, I've read somewhere, and you know, double check me if I'm right or wrong, somewhere here in the internet, whoever's listening, that there's the attention span of humans has shrunk to that of a goldfish, and it's right about like a seven, eight second attention span. And it's got to do with social media, obviously, because social media, all the, the reels, the TikTok videos, they're all around that same length, and people lose interest. You know, they just go scrolling through the next next thing, next thing, and they get it's got to do with dopamine hits and everything. But I don't want to get into that. But it's it's something that programs the people in a certain way. And it's automatically obviously the new generation growing up to, to read a scout report that's two, three pages long, it's probably close to impossible unless you're a really des de dedicated book reader. I will say I will say this: the world of sport is one of the last bastions. World of sport and preparation is one of the last bastions of discipline, and I hope it stays as long as possible. It's not what it was, you know. But the the uh, process oriented nature of preparation, whether it be physical, whether it be tactical. Uh, whether it be mental, emotional, psychological, you know, it still it very much exists in sport. And, and that's a good thing. That's one of the great values of kids still being able to go uh, to a practice, to being coached, to being asked to follow uh, preparation reports or, or scouting or video. You know, in some ways it, it forces them to uh, stay a little bit more focused a little bit longer in a disciplined and in a healthy way that will indeed uh, influence the rest of their lives. So that's a good thing. All right, Dave, are you ready? Are you ready for the third quarter? We're slow. We're going to go into the, the... I always like the third quarter because you've gone through a half. You've been able to go into halftime, make a couple of quick adjustments because you can't change the whole landscape, but you recognize certain things. And I always felt I was a better coach in the second half than I was in the first. So, yeah, let's do it. I'm ready. All right. All right. We're going to go through all those little things that also that that matter in the second half, the little adjustments. But the third quarter, ironically, has more to do with something, the first part anyway, of your game day routine or something you do before the first quarter, obviously. But 
your how did you approach game day when you come into the because there's a certain tone that you set when you walk into the gym, shoot around. There's the players have to feel it. That's today's game day. There's some certain certain seriousness that everybody brings to to the to the table, and it's necessary, obviously. But in terms of your preparation work on the game day, when you wake up, are you visualizing certain place you're gonna run? Are you gonna come in, do the shoot around a certain way, and then between shoot around and game, the game itself, there's certain things that you did, or was were you just loose and took a nap and that's it? How how did you approach the game? Well, that's not necessarily third quarter. That's before the third quarter. Yeah. Uh, and pardon my uh, coaching critique, but I, you know, I kind of always uh, listen exactly to what I'm being told and then try to follow that. So you changed it up on me, but that's okay. I got to <laughs> adapt. Uh, I was pretty structured in terms of uh, approaching game day. Now, of course, you're, you're going to be challenged by different start times of the game. You're going to be challenged by the number of days or practices that you may have before the game. Uh, you're going to be challenged by, you know, things such as injuries or sickness or, or uh, fatigue uh, issues. So, you know, you got to take all those things into consideration. I tried to be very consistent uh, on game day if it was a normal start time, you know, whether start with a, with a with a, a video session and a shoot around uh, and and then you know the opportunity to let the players go home and rest and then come back to a game in uh, in the evening if it was that kind of thing um, in terms of the emphasis that you placed on the other team that had a lot to do with what your relative uh, Uh, situation was in terms of who was the stronger team, you know, um, again, most system coaches, they're, they're not going to really care what the other guy does. They're going to, they're going to coach to what it is that they know and believe in. And, they, and they're going to say, you know, make them adjust to us. Other coaches, personnel coaches may be thinking more in terms of lineups and matchups and uh, advantages and disadvantages uh, Uh, whether it be shooting capability, whether it be rebounding capability, whether it be defensive capabilities, you know. So uh, these are things that you got to be be aware of and taken into consideration once the uh, once the game approaches. Getting now into the specific idea of the third quarter, you know, these are things that you should be evaluating quickly at halftime. You know, get a couple of words of input from your your coaches. Uh, to recognize and to uh, evaluate in your mind as you're going through the first half and as you're walking off the court, you know, two or three or four things that you really have to um, emphasize and, and to recognize as being in, in critical to second half uh, performance. Um, you know, all the, these things are, are things that are happening, uh, happening uh, quickly. You know, so your ability to adjust and adapt, it, it, it doesn't just happen out of nowhere. It happens because you've been through it before or you've experienced things before or you've even prepared yourself for the things that you can't prepare for. You know, you can't prepare for a guy getting injured. You know what I mean? You know, maybe he's your best shooter or maybe he's your best rebounder. Does that mean I have to, you know, play this guy? Does that mean I have to play this particular set? Does that mean... Uh, if my best rebounder isn't playing anymore, then I better play a different kind of defense. 
or or perhaps uh, you know the other team is just is just running you like crazy and, and you can't stop their fast break. Do I have to change the way I play offense in order to influence their ability to transition to the to the other end? Do I have to change my lineup in some way, shape, or form? Do I have to change the way? Uh, or the length of the plays that I'm running. You know, there's a lot of different things that you got to think about, but you have that in your mind already because you, you know, you've, you've already envisioned it, and 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 it, it doesn't come from nowhere. But you do react to it seemingly in an intuitive fashion, even though it's not intuitive. Everything's been done before. Yep. You know, you just you have it in your brain, and and you're you're making your adjustments based on things you you you've almost all always already already seen. So allow me to look back on 2014 because that's something that that always is in my mind, and I want to use that as an example because that's how I saw your team. We faced each other uh, the, in the semifinals of the Euroleague Final Four, and to me, when I was I was scouting the uh, your team, it always felt like you had two teams in the roster. You had a post up team with Sofo, and you had a pick and roll team with Alex Ties. And there's two different rosters that you could put on the floor depending on the on the on the matchups or what you, whatever you wanted to attack at that time. Were you? And it was it was. I mean, for Sofa, there's no there's basically everything is basically a mismatch <laughs> down low. So it's 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 really you know touch and go with with him. But in general, were you more based on going to your best player and and letting him be the, the decisive factor, or were you more? mismatch based and looking for where the biggest mismatch is uh, did you value one over the other to a, to an extent well you know th that's a great example of of the importance of being able to uh uh both use your way of playing and adapt to the reality of, of different situations you know Seska of, of 2014 with with Coach Messina and with you and with the other great members of your staff and just a terrific roster, you know that you you guys were a stronger team than we were, and we knew we had to play differently if we wanted to have a chance to 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 win. Uh, specific to you know Sofo and Alex, th that's correct. We didn't change that. We played a certain way with the two of those uh, players, and and those ways were very different. You know. Sofo was one of the best uh, true target players that Europe has ever known. You know, he was just a, a fantastic rim runner and low post uh, half court player that you could play off of and read defenses according to how they react to him. But Sofo could only play effect effectively 15, 18 minutes a game. So we, for example, had a rule that when Sofo was in the game, Every single offense, regardless, he had to touch the ball. He didn't have to shoot, but he had to touch it. That was a rule. High that, volume, high volume. You yeah, go, yeah. You, we, he had to touch the ball so we could maximize his great performance for a certain period of time, and his performance was great. And when Alex was in the game, we could play a lot more uh, free flowing, open, pick and cut oriented, you know, four out one in type offense that uh, that allowed him allowed us to take advantage of his of his great and particular skill set uh, you know and these are the kind of things that uh, perhaps are more personnel oriented when you're uh, are more are more personality oriented when you're when you're coaching your specific team uh, 
But, uh, you know, as a coach, it's your job to find out. I think maybe more than anything else, uh, when it comes to game coaching, when it comes to second half coaching, you have to understand how to maximize your advantages and minimize your disadvantages. You know, and, and if you do that, then you can change the course of a game that maybe isn't going well, or you can maintain the course of the game that is going particularly well. Yeah, and I remember David Blue Blutenthal was was the key factor in stretching the, stretching the defense out and giving all the space for the inside. Stretch fours in Europe, and I think he's undervalued and underestimated. Not by uh, that was the for me that was that was he was it he was he was the X factor. Um, uh, by the way, Guy Panini did that for us too. Even even though he wasn't particularly big, Guy could play uh, both three and the four. If you're talking about traditional position which no longer really exists it's an it's a positionless game today of course but in those times you know the guys that could stretch the floor and could could pass the ball uh were just invaluable and of course that's become the way of the nba you know, which i think they took more from europe than anything else absolutely absolutely was was there one uh but what did you base your end of the game lineups on was there one one certain thing that you that you had to adjust or did you always feel like Playing small was the, the better solution, or was what, what did you base your decision at the end of the game on? Generally, I like to go small at the at the end of the game, just because uh, you know, it, particularly in closer games, you're 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 looking at more switching defensively than you are uh, early in the game. Um, even that has changed. You know, it's become such a switch oriented game because lineups are more uh, equitable in terms of size and length and, and whatnot. But, uh, you know, generally having a more uh, um, varied defensive uh, approach because you have uh, players that are more versatile in terms of guarding different positions, that was, that was the way that uh, normally we would want to finish the game. Uh, and again, you know, in, in the case of a, a great uh, post-up player like, uh, like Soffel, um, you know, he was only going to play a certain number of minutes anyway. So we were maximizing his minutes when he was extremely effective and efficient. And then we were going with another roster the, that allowed us both uh, the energy and the uh, flexibility on both ends of the court that we were looking for. All right. We're, we're going now straight into the fourth quarter. And that's going to be my uh, my go to <laughs> my go to communication quarter. Um, but before we go into the communication part, there's philosophical part in terms of changing your practice philosophy over the course of your career. Did you did did it change uh, over the course of the career? If it changed, how much did it change? Is something that influenced your change over the course of your career? What were the the, the things that you felt like you you um, internally adapted and changed the most on? Well, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind uh, was the is the uh, double practice uh, uh, routine. Now, I, I will say this. When I came, when I became a coach, uh, particularly as I moved forward, you know, I, 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 I recognized that You know, many, many teams, particularly overseas, you know, they, they used to do a lot of running in the hills and running in the mountains. 
and do a lot of pure conditioning type practices. And, and very quickly, I recognized that that was not something I wanted to do. You know, I, I just felt that conditioning on the floor, whether it be with or without the ball, was a lot more um, a lot more appropriate. So, you know, we, we could start with that. Uh, but also I, I came to recognize that after the preseason, practicing twice a day, both because of the schedule and because of the physical load, because all the, just about every team that I was coaching was a, was a higher level team that had many, many games and many, many different competitions. And I, and I just realized that, uh, the two practice a day schedule wasn't wasn't really good anymore. Except you know if you had guys that needed to come in or twice a day to do some extra work that you know that that's one thing. But having full practice or full tape practice or any of those things, it just, it just wasn't appropriate, uh, and it wasn't uh, helpful to the players or to our long term goals. So understanding that sometimes doing less gives you a little bit more, or at the very least, engaging the players in terms of their need to come to the gym twice a day and dress and undress and shower or tape or all these other things. Sometimes you could one good longer practice would be better than two two practices, you know. Um, and, and I think it helped the players too, both physically and uh, mentally. So talking about the load a little bit, it, there's, like you said, like regulating the load and seeing how the players are maybe getting fatigued. Maybe it's just not really, it also depends on the part of the season. But when you when you noticed um, that throughout the season of the ups and downs uh, of, of your team, was there certain cues you looked for in a certain periods of the season that told you that you needed to change something up, whether it was load or, or maybe just change the routine a little bit up? You know, of course, and a lot of that comes with experience. You know, there's some things that you can just you can smell them. You know, you can smell when is is tired or when a particular player is overloaded. You know, I've I've been fortunate to work with great um, physio uh, physio staffs and with great strength and conditioning coaches who contribute immeasurably to me understanding what how far and, and how much I should, I should and could push, uh, you know, and having that faith in the good people that you bring into your organization is so important. You know, just because someone else tells you something that you yourself didn't think of, or that even that you yourself don't necessarily believe in, it doesn't mean it's a bad thing or they're trying to impact your job negatively it might be quite the opposite they may really want to help you and say hey listen you know th th this is the real deal you know i think you need to pay attention to this you know what i mean and and uh i i'm thankful to this day for the great people that i work with that were behind closed doors of course willing to come to me and say hey this is not right or hey you need to do this differently or hey this is this is impacting us in a bad way Uh, so that we could discuss it, so that we could uh, argue it, so that so that we could agree or agree to disagree on it. But when we came out that door from our locker room or from our coaches' room, we were all on the same page, speaking the same language, sending the same message. But guys that challenged me behind closed doors, I didn't mind it at all. I liked it, actually. 
you need those guys in your corner. You need those guys. That's I mean, you don't want yes men all the time around you because everybody is going to be yes men down the drain because then there's nobody saying saying something just to make you think differently and see it from a different light. But again, we're gonna we're back to feeling secure about somebody telling you what they think and you're not you you're not feeling offended by it, but embracing it. Well always remember this if you're sitting in the room with your staff, whether it be other coaches or your physios or your strength and conditioning growth and everybody in the room agrees on something, it probably means that you're all stupid. <laughs> so you gotta be you got to be open armed about hearing different things and, and different ideas and, and at times even being told, Hey, that's not, you're not right. Or I don't agree with that. All right. Then you can say, tell me why and listen to it. And maybe, maybe that's correct. You know, so nothing wrong with that. So, okay. So like, let's talk about conflict a little bit, whether like, but more maybe in regard conflict, Conflict within the staff can happen internally in terms of debate. I don't think it's, there should be any conflict because you we're talking about we're now at the phase where we're, we're hiring good people. So we're, we're naturally we're we're believed that the incent not the incentive the intent is the right one. You know, so we believe in each other. But if there is a conflict amongst two players in the practice that you feel like you need to address, sometimes it cleans up by itself. But sometimes you need to address it. How do you address it? Well, listen, communication and, and humanity and everything you do is so important in team sport and so important in coaching. Uh, you got to have a, a sincere desire to sit people down together and to discuss things or to get them to sit down together and discuss things, you know, um, and to encourage that and to embrace that. You, you know, th- th- there, there, of course, is a time and a place for everything, though. And you got to make them aware of it. You know, your expectation should be, hey, you know, what, whatever issues you have, don't bring them on the floor with you, you know. And if there is an issue on the floor, let's, let's, let's nip it in the bud very quickly and settle it outside the court, you know, because you're dealing with a whole team. You're not dealing just with two guys, you know. That, that, that doesn't allow for the type of selflessness that you want to encourage in your, in, in your organization and in your team. But you definitely, you definitely have to address those things. You can't just let them push them under the rug and expect them to go away. That's that. That's not a good philosophy either. You know, you you, you got to get guys to sit down and talk to one another, or you got to sit down and constantly, constantly be communicating on an individual level, on a on a, on a personal level, on a team level, uh, so that you know that people are 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 uh, empathetic to one another and are aware of differences and, and willing to settle them in a, in a, uh, in a positive way. That's, I mean, like, I said, like you said, you can't put it under the rug because the dust will build up and it, at, at the end you will, the team will trip over the rug because the, it just becomes too big of a hill. Okay. There's a mentorship question I have for you. And it's a little bit of a different, um, obviously a little bit of a different type of thought process that I wanted to, to get out of you. Imagine all the knowledge you have accumulated by now. Imagine everything you know, you through it experience, but it's you at a young age being a head coach of a team at a lower level, not at the highest level, but at a lower level with the knowledge of the highest level coach. What do you apply? What do you not apply? What is not applicable? You know, I, again, I've told you, I speak quite often to coaches and I, and I always say that, 
the coaches at the at the younger levels, the youth levels, uh, they're responsible for what has happened to me in my career. You know, w- without a doubt, if, if I get guys in, in my program that haven't been coached well uh, in their youth or gals that haven't been coached well in their youth, then my job is either impossible or ineffective or extremely, extremely cumbersome. Uh, so, you know, for me at the youth levels, being able to teach the love of the game, being able to teach fundamentals, being able to teach the importance uh, of what is really important about team sport, uh, th- those are invaluable lessons that are irreplaceable. And unfortunately, the later a guy goes in his in his basketball career or or, or love, those are the harder things that to come by in terms of being able to learn. It's just like language. You're going to learn language a lot better in your youth than you are later in your life, you know, because you, your, your brain has been bl- blocked by knowledge that you've already acquired. And it's not open as it would be if you got those things uh, when you were younger. So, you know, that just those, you know, those basic things uh, on the part of uh, the younger the younger coaches and the younger teams that are being coached, you know, are are, are just uh, invaluable and irreplaceable. And my appreciation and my respect for youth coaches worldwide is so great. Uh, and I know that personally, I never would have had the kind of success that I had would it had it not been for them. But. Uh... In terms of, though, not like youth coaches, but semi-pro coaches, like in terms of maybe just two tiers down from EuroLeague, two, three tiers down, when you say they're, they're already uh, professional, and let's say let's, that's most of the team is professional, but there's there's a certain amount of already of, of professionalism, understanding, fun, fundamentals, the foundation is there. What knowledge, what knowledge, what key things can you still implement without overwhelming them? It's not that different. Uh... Venice, you know, there, there's a there's a great biblical saying that's there's nothing new under the sun, mm. you know, you know, can a guy pass, dribble, and shoot? Does a guy understand the importance of communicating on the floor? Does he value uh, the the defensive approach that you have to have to play winning basketball? Um, Can guys play together and to uh, enhance one another one another's performance in order to enhance the team? You know, there's really there, there's really no secret there. It's not it's nothing new, not for me anyway. Maybe maybe there's smarter people out there and smarter coaches than me. But basketball and sport to me, it's a simple game that we've made extremely extremely complicated and advanced as we all you know grow in the profession, but it's, it's not that difficult to think, you know, on a, on a, on a basic level. And, and if a guy comes to me, whether it be from a, you know, a junior program uh, or not, and he can pass dribble and shoot and he understands uh, the fundamentals uh, of defense. And if he is a good teammate and a, and a, and a character and a quality guy, 
I can make it work. You know, I don't need a whole lot more than that. So the last part of this quarter is the 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 the, the good person part, the stay humble part that you have also written in a, uh, behind you. Stay humble, be kind, work hard. The self criticism part that's to me very important. I was because we talked about it a little bit uh, of what questions do you ask yourself after the game before you address the team, you as a staff when you get together before you go into the locker room to do the final speech. What are the the key questions, topics that you look yourself in the mirror with and you kind of, you, you want to address yourself first? Uh, that, that's a great question. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a very honest answer. And anyone that's worked with me will, will tell you. Uh, the first thing I always did after the game, we would go, you know, first to the, the coach's room. The first thing I always asked, and it was the same question. It never changed. I looked at my guys and I said, did we deserve to win? That was always the question. Whether we won or lost, the question was, did we deserve to win? In other words, did we do everything we could in our power to best prepare, to best practice, to best adjust, to best evaluate in the best possible way that gave us the opportunity to feel like we deserve to win this game? And You know, invariably, the answer was not always the same. There were times when we recognized that we didn't, even games that we won. You know, and then it made it a lot easier for me to go into the locker room and tell my guys, hey, you didn't do this, or hey, we didn't do that, or collectively, you know, we, we, we did a great job, or collectively, we did a poor job. Uh, and by the way, you know, and, and this is something that competitors are very, very, Uh, they have a difficult time accepting. Uh, you don't always deserve to win every game. You maybe didn't do everything right or everything well or everything in a fashion that gave you the right to feel like you should win the game, even if you won the game. You know, that's why post-game evaluation is so important, you know, in recognizing, uh, did you live up to your principles? Did you live up to your plan? Did you... Did you do the things that gave you uh, the best possible chance of being successful? After a game, when you've done everything in your power to do things right and you don't win, you should never feel disappointed. That's the worst thing to feel. You can feel sad. It's natural. We all want to win. We all want to come out and people are cheering us and people are smiling and the management is happy and, you know. Uh, you got the title or you got whatever, you know, whatever it is that floats your boat. But, you know, you never, you never want to feel disappointed. Like I didn't do what I should do in the best possible way in order for this to, 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 to bring about the, the result that we had hoped for. You know, you can be sad. It's, it's natural. It's normal. But never leave, never leave a game or a task or an endeavor feeling disappointed. That's on you. All right, David, you ready for my ATOs? Would I finish off the podcast every time with, with quick hitter questions that I draw up? Love, from my... love, love ATOs, man. Yep, yep. All right. So just, just going to be quick quick questions I'm throw out there, and you answer you answer how you feel, what, whatever pops into your head first. Uh, one overrated aspect of coaching. One overrated aspect of coaching. 
that you yourself can actually make a shot. One underrated aspect of coaching. That you can ask more of your guys as long as you're willing to give more. Advice from your current self to your younger self. Keep your ears open. Keep your eyes wide. Keep your motivation high. And always care about your people. Biggest pet peeve as a coach. Guys that do the, some guys that do the maximum of the minimum, some guys that do the minimum of the maximum, but very few that do the maximum of the maximum. If you had to teach a class today, other than about basketball, what would it be on? Leadership. What does home mean to you? Home is two places that you love and two people that love you and you love them back. What was the country you always wanted to coach in but never did? Um, Australia. A player you wanted to coach but you never did? Oh, there's a lot of those. And I coached a lot of great people and a lot of great players. Uh, I wish I could have coached Arvidas Sabonis. Mm. <laughs> okay. Uh, I can't say anything about that one. That's my favorite one. I, I still watch, I still look back at clips from 1983, 84. I mean, it's, it's, uh, to me, it's, it's, it's a, un it's, 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 yeah. it's, 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 By the way, we have a present-day Sabonis playing, uh, Nikola Jokic, who is the closest thing to uh, Sabonis. Uh, but for me, uh, Sabonis was and for always will be the greatest player I ever saw. The athlete Arvidas was, is, it was spectacular for his size. Don't, people just don't know. Yep. So last one, and it's a quote that we both, we both, uh, you actually texted me. I want to leave you with that and leave the audience with that uh, to, for you to comment and, and uh, dig a little bit deeper into that. Einstein, everything that can be counted does not necessarily count. Everything that counts cannot necessarily be counted. Go. Absolutely. In this world of uh, statistics and analytics, and uh, media um, popularity, people tend to lose sight of what's really important and always try to value and evaluate based on um, some concrete evidence. But that's not what really does it, not for me. I, I know what makes teams and, and coaches and players successful. And it's got nothing to do with those things. Be the best person you can be and commit to excellence. And you're going to, be, you're going to do well. David Blatt, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Do you, do you uh, agree that we should call this episode cultural competency? Well, cultural competency is a, is a lot of things. But that, 
that's certainly part of my of of, of my uh, life and a way of doing things. But I don't, I don't know if you can call it that. Maybe basketball is life, and life is basketball. That's <laughs> that's it. That's it. All right, you got it. Thank you, thank you, David. It's been probably the richest episode that I've I've got to um, experience. So I appreciate it. I thank you very much, and I'm sure the audience does as well. Well, thank you for that, man. I wish everybody uh, everybody the best. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>